as I just get myself uh, turned on and set up, I want you to imagine um, a spectrum of suffering or pain, uh, trials in your mind, what goes at the extreme end, and imagine the places along it. Um, just whilst I get this switched on. Now, um, have a think now, where are you at on that spectrum now, this morning? Where do you sit? Are you in the midst of a storm that's really painful? Is everything going fine? Have you just come through something? What trials and hardships do we face um, from being a follower of Jesus? How has your life been made more complicated or more difficult because of your faith in him? Um, suffering is undeniable, isn't it? It's, um, it's there, it's everywhere. Even when things are going well, we don't have to look very far for trouble, um, for suffering in, in our lives around the corner or in others around us. You know, suffering is this thing, this massive thing that you know, people have been suffering, um, grappling with for centuries and centuries. Um, and everyone encounters troubles in their lives. And we're not immune from those either as, as Christians. Um, and on top of the, the suffering and the troubles that everyone gets, we also kind of get other ones which are coming as a direct result of us um, following Jesus. So today we're thinking about how we should respond to suffering. Um, how can we approach suffering and hardships in God's way? You know, what are we to think about it? What are we to do with it? And how can we face um, trials, hardships, suffering better as a result of us being together as God's people? And it's really easy, isn't it, to talk about abstract suffering um, in a kind of vague way. But I'm just really conscious that suffering is so personal and real. It's not abstract. Uh, and our experiences of suffering are very different. Some people here um, or listening to this will be going through really painful things. And some people's journeys are harder than others. We can look at some people and think, how, how come your life is so easy? Um, others, so intense. And as we look around the world as well, you know, we can think of countries where persecution is really real. You know, what goes on in North Korea, um, videos that we see from Open Doors and organizations like that. And there are lots of people who are way more qualified to speak about suffering than I am. Um, you know, people who've got that real hard, raw, you know, um, tested, proven um, experience that makes their words carry so much weight. You, know, you might be able to think of people that, that you know like that. You know, for me, 
my deepest experiences of suffering in my life, which has been pretty easy, um, are all secondhand. You know, it's the suffering I see in other people. Uh, sometimes people that are close, um, close to me, but that's that's my experience of suffering, largely secondhand. Um, and so sometimes we're conscious when we're thinking about suffering or talking about suffering because it's so sensitive and um, because we're just conscious of putting our foot in it or thinking, because it, it, it is kind of relative, like intense stuff that we're going through is you know, small bean for someone else who's going through something very different. And, um, but that's how it is. So why on earth do we find ourselves pondering all of these um, things this morning? Um, well, since um, January, I think, we've been working through 1 Peter. And um, as you know, he's the disciple of um, Jesus, apostle of the early church, and he's sharing this letter of pastoral encouragement to the Christians that he's been calling God's elect um, and exiles. He's encouraging them about their identity and about the blessings and inheritance that God's given them. But he's also challenging them about how they should live um, especially in the light of opposition and troubles and tension. And what he's saying in this section that we've um, just heard um, earlier, it's building on themes that he's already been talking about and circling around um, through the rest of his letter. You know, he's talked about the living hope and our hope not being this vague thing, but something that's real and alive and rooted in um, the resurrection of Jesus. About suffering, he's already said... Um, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested in fire. He's talked about obedience, um, living differently, being mentally prepared. Um, and Peter, the one who's writing, is the one Jesus called the rock. He's talked about Jesus being the living stone and us, um, the church, being living stones built into a spiritual house. He's talked about suffering and enduring for doing good, being commendable in God's sight. And he's already drawn us to the example of Jesus when he said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you must follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges rightly. So, um, here's where we're going today. Um, I've broken my thoughts on, on this um, down into these kind of sections. Don't be surprised. Rejoice. Don't feel shame. Honour God. And then talking about God's refinement and our alignment. So we're thinking, what are we to think of suffering? What are we to do with it? And how can we face it better together? Um, so, Spirit of God, we just pray that you will do the work now of speaking to our hearts. Amen. Okay, first up, it's don't be surprised. Um, that's how, um, how Peter starts this section. Don't be surprised. Um, so when you think of surprise, it's like maintaining the element of surprise is often a key thing, isn't it, in um, a tactic, in keeping the upper hand, uh, in military terms and that kind of stuff. 
So you don't want to get ambushed. Don't be unprepared. Don't be surprised when troubles come. So I think we should grieve the pain. We should feel the losses. It's not denying those things, but Peter's saying, don't be surprised. Why shouldn't we be surprised? Um, I think, well, the danger of surprise is it's deadly. It can be deadly. You know, things can be going along quite nicely, um, and then suffering or trouble ambushes us, throws us off. We can find ourselves thinking, I can't believe this is happening to me. How could God do this to me? It's, it's not right. I'm a Christian. I'm trying my best. So we should be prepared. You know, we should prepare ourselves that that bad news that we don't want to hear, it might come. But we can be assured, reassured, that whatever does come, it won't be taking God by surprise. By, by surprise. So we shouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, we can expect um, opposition, troubles, hardships, because God doesn't promise us smooth and easy. You know, we know that uh, theoretically, but boy, do we wish it wasn't true. Um, like when Ruth was in labour um, with our first Esme, we weren't exactly um, naive about um, what that would involve. Uh, we weren't expecting smooth and easily, but in honesty, we weren't prepared for the ordeal that it was, um, the roller coaster, the length of it, um, the, the jeopardy, those moments of, ah, what's happening? Um, we were ambushed. It was the most intense experience. But um, by God's grace, we did know that he was with us and... Um, we're grateful to, that he gave strength and um, hope and carried us, especially Ruth, through that. And John, um, in John 16, Jesus uh, was preparing his disciples and he said things like, I've told you these things that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So is suffering hardship normal yes you know it is it's inevitable but we have to be honest too even though it's inevitable and we know it's around the corner it's also so unsettling when it happens um, but let's not let it be surprising so i want us to um, hear the kindness of jesus when he says to us you know, not rebuking us but warmly encouraging us take heart and Peter also, um, you know, in the beginning of this passage, he says, beloved, don't be surprised. So that's the kind of approach that God comes to us with this message. Um, beloved, don't be surprised. But he says, don't be surprised, um, rejoice, or be very glad, or keep on rejoicing. Now, this is really odd to us. Because we're way more used to hearing, uh, or you might have expected, kind of, don't be surprised at trouble, just get on with it. 
or don't be surprised, crack on. Um, at work, I often hear people say, oh, we're chatting about something, some work issue, and then you go, uh, it is what it is, you know. Or meh, it's the more contemporary version. But this is something different, isn't it? It's, it's something better than that. It's, it's not just accepting, it's rejoicing. Um, now, just accepting this trouble can often lead us down a road of eventually resentment, despair, discouragement. But rejoicing, not just in spite of the troubles, like never mind, but also because of the troubles, that's something different and it could lead us um, towards Jesus, towards hope, towards encouragement. And in any situation that we face, we're always faced with a choice in how we respond to it. And um, it's, the, it's our response and it's the, um, the, our perspective or our approach which can lead us in very different directions, um, running to the hills or running closer, um, drawing us closer to Jesus. So it's not denial. Um, rejoicing is not denial. Grief is right. It's not mind over matter. It's not putting on a brave face. Um, it's really right to feel pain, to lament the losses that we're experiencing. Um, you know, because Jesus himself, he knew grief. He knew what living is. He, um, he wept at, the, at the, his friend's death. He was distressed. He was in anguish. He sweated blood. Um, he felt agony on the cross. So we don't need to deny suffering that we're going through. But what good reasons do we have to rejoice in our, in our hardships? And especially those that come as a result of our um, trying to walk with Jesus from our obedience with him. Now Peter gives us a few um, reasons. The first one I want to draw out is, he says um, that our suffering is connected to Christ, not detached for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. So in our suffering now, um, it's connected to Jesus' suffering then. We're on the same path. And also, um, Jesus... In his suffering, his suffering isn't kind of detached from us. He's also suffering when we're suffering. You know, um, in um, in Acts, when um, Jesus, the risen Jesus, kind of appears to Saul, uh, saying, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" Like Jesus was being uh, grieved, and um, he was suffering on behalf of those, you know, others that were suffering. But even more than that, being united or partners with Christ, we're sharing in his suffering, but that means we also are kind of connected and sharing with Jesus in his glory. Um, in the re- we're connected in the rejoicing in, the, in what's to come. Sharing in that future glory, that future joy. You know, troubles now, but I've overcome the world. So we're connected walking the same path as as Jesus, who was misunderstood, opposed, 
experience cruelty. And so following him on that path, whatever we're experiencing, um, we can journey with him, finding through it the way to life. It's got to happen at least once. Okay. Um, So that's the first reason, partners with Christ. Next one is that our suffering, in our suffering, we're not in a kind of cursed state. Um, You're not cursed when you're going through something. If you're insulted because the name you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. So in fact, it's the opposite. When you're going through trouble, it's a sign that you're blessed. Um, And Jesus says a similar kind of thing, doesn't he, in Matthew um, 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, blessed are you when others revile you. Rejoice for your reward is great in heaven. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Because the world might um, revile you, criticize you. Your bosses might look down on you. Family might reject you. Friends might find themselves distancing them cells from you but God blesses you and um, you know his opinion counts more he declares you blessed and favored and sometimes I think when we're going through um, trouble we need to find ways to make his voice louder if we're being attacked or brought down or having opposition um, from people who are around us we need to make his voice louder we're blessed. But also, what is that blessing um, that we're blessed with? What is the blessing? And I think it, it's here. It's God's spirit resting upon us. It says, for you will be blessed, for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. you know, he's present in that trial. It's his presence, his nearness, which is his blessing, uh, fortifying us, enabling us, carrying us through, doing that gloriously. I read a commentary um, where it said, um, his glorious spirit rests upon you. It resides with you, dwells in you, supports you, is pleased with you. And is that not an unspeakable privilege? You know, may we all become more aware of that reality as we go through troubles. And there's a final thing as well. Another reason is um, to do with the work that suffering can do in us. Sometimes there's work that maybe only going through trouble can do in us. And we'll talk about that a bit later on. There's a song we're going to hear at the end. Um, You know, it says that that line that I mentioned. He, He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. So as we go through trouble, Jesus is not detached from it. He knows it, and he's, he's with us. Okay, so that's section one. Don't be surprised, rejoice. The next is don't feel shame. It's not dishonorable to suffer hardships. It's not a mark of God's displeasure or his um, abandonment of us. Because conversely, it's not our successes uh, or how we float along through life 
unburdened by troubles that's marking us out as disciples. But it, you know, it's how we're enabled by uh, Jesus to endure, uh, endure things which is going to mark us out. Not that they just don't happen. You know, there are lots of other cultures around the world which are much more driven by that shame and honour thing. Um, but we should think for ourselves, like, what role is shame having in our responses um, that we need to address? You know, is, is shame influencing us when we withdraw ourselves from brothers and sisters or church family when we're in pain? Is that something that you're um, tended towards? Don't be ashamed. You know, when we feel sometimes that it's better just to present our successes or present our sortedness or our sorted selves, um, don't be ashamed. You know, bear it all. And when we imagine that God has withdrawn himself from us somehow because of the pain that we're in, don't be ashamed. God's not abandoned you. you know, um, I've never run a marathon. I'm not particularly sporty uh, or sporty at all, if I'm honest. Um, but you, know, you hear people who are um, running marathons and, and whatnot, and they're saying things like they're all out of breath and sweaty and they look terrible. But they're like, oh, you know, I felt terrible. I was going to die. I felt like giving up you know, back at that part. But, you know, I made it. And as we hear those stories, we don't hear them and go, like, oh, honestly, I can't believe you almost died. Really? You know, you're just, like, amazed that they made it through. There's no shame in the, in the struggle. Um, and Tim Aho last week, do you remember he, um, he sort of called us, as a, he said, as a church, you know, we're called to love each other deeply. And that means walking together through pain. So we can help each other to, to share, to share those pains. There's no shame. There's nothing to hide. So don't feel shame, but honour God. So how can we honour God with our suffering? When we talk about honouring or glorifying God, we're talking about making more of him, making much of him. Now the cost that we're prepared to bear for something that reveals its worth to us, how valuable it is. So, um, you know, when Jesus went through the cross for us, um, you know, he showed the extent of his love for us through that. It's a way of us seeing how much, you know, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. But it's the same for us, the, the, the cost that we're prepared to bear shows its worth. Um, it can reveal something about what it is or who it is that we treasure most. You know, we're called uh, as followers of God to honour him by showing in our actions and in our attitudes to stuff that it's God who's valuable, desirable, satisfying and comforting to us above anything else. So when troubles come to us, um, we can choose a response that moves us closer to God. 
But we don't have to be heavy about it because we stumble, we, um, we mess up, we get struggles and we choose the wrong path. But when we stumble, radical obedience, um, it looks like just keeping on going. And that's, that's a way of honoring God. Um, you know, I feel terrible. I don't, you know, but I'm carrying on. When you're in um, deep physical pain, or maybe you're just painfully aware of your mistakes, radical obedience is just taking the next step forward with Jesus rather than on your own. But there's this bit in the, in the passage, I don't know if you can remember hearing it, when it says, um, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler. So um, he sneaks this thing in there that I think is reminding us that we do need to be careful to differentiate um, between honorable suffering and dishonorable suffering. Um, because we need to be careful that we don't just give ourselves false comfort. There is no glory in sin. You know, it's an interesting list, isn't it? He gives there, you know, make sure you're not suffering because you're a murderer. Okay, I think we can all agree that's pretty bad. I'm safe from that one, good. Um, don't suffer as a thief. Yeah, also pretty bad. Um, or an evildoer, that's pretty generic covering all the bases there. Um, but then this other one, or even as a meddler. Yeah. Even as an interfering nuisance, being unnecessarily in other people's business or looking for trouble. Don't confuse being an interfering nuisance for genuine suffering for Christ. You remember um, quite a few weeks back now, Steve Aylin, um saying... Um, Something like, let other people know that you're following God, but don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Don't go looking for trouble. Now, it's really easy for us to um, point the finger at other people when we, you know, we can all ima we can imagine people and we know of people probably that are unnecessarily interfering or dictating to people, uh, meddling in stuff that. It's just unhelpful or an unhelpful way of presenting um, faith in, in God. But we should examine ourselves. And you know, as a church together, we've got the opportunity of building deep friendships um, which we, in which we can help each other to see each other's blind spots. You know, if we're honest, sometimes our suffering or some of our suffering does come as a result of our own making. It's not something that's just landed on us, but maybe there's some bad choices we're making that are bringing suffering. And is there something that we need to stop and put right? You know, even persecution, um, sometimes that's a little bit ins inside our control because you could go around looking for trouble and stirring up controversy, just unnecessarily winding people up. Um, it's easy to, you know, feel the victim because, oh, I'm being persecuted, but actually it's just you're really going about this the wrong way. So wisdom is required. Um, 
both in like the issues that we take stands on, maybe there's prickly issues at work, um, you know, with different agendas that go around, you know, what are you, where are you gonna make a stand? Where, how are you gonna be distinctive? Where do you need to be? Uh, how, do you, how do you navigate all that? We need wisdom. And we also need wisdom most of all in our hearts because it's very easy to think we're doing the right thing but our hearts being um, in a wrong place about it. So let's not fall foul of meddling, um, which is shameful. In, uh, just like thieving and murdering. So don't feel shame, honour God. And next I want us to talk about refinement, God's refinement in suffering. So, um, do you remember the, the lines at the beginning? It says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, or the painful ordeal, or the um, whatever else it was, it was saying. <laughs> the fiery trial, There's, that's the version that sticks in my, in my mind. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon us to test us. Now Peter's um, talked in his letter and he's talking now as well in this passage about judgment and uh, it beginning in the household of God and about our obedience. And he's bringing this uh, image of the refining fire um, out again. You know, the image of, um, again, I'm not first-hand experienced in refining iron ore or any precious metals uh, my visits to the jewellery quarter have been quite limited and certainly not you know, in smelting workshops and that kind of thing. But you can imagine, can't you, the, um, the metal worker removing impurities from precious metals through applying heat. Um, that, that image recurs through the scriptures, doesn't it? Um, it's not something that Peter's just invented here. It's kind of a theme that's, that's throughout the scriptures. But it's, a, it's imagery about how God purifies his people, how he tests the reality of their faith, uh, their purity. And in normal atmospheric conditions, you've got the metal uh, and um, you know, the, the, the good metal and also the dross coexisting um, together in that iron ore. That's in normal conditions. They're just together. They're intertwined. They're indivisible. You can't tell one where one ends and the other begins, really. They're just all mixed up. But when the heat is turned up, it brings about a kind of separation. Uh, it brings out those impurities. And um, from what I know of purifying uh, metals... It's done repeatedly, like the heat raise a temperature, some dross comes to the surface and they like wipe it off, take that out, and then it goes again, bring it up and more comes out. So it's a, it's a purpose, it's not like a one-off thing. Our whole lives are refinement. Um, when the heat is turned up, there's that separation, the revealing, and there's a refining purpose to bring out purity, impurities. 
And so our response to that is not to resist it. You know, we should, as we're going through stuff, we should um, think, you know, how is God using this? What, what's this revealing? Because in the same way as the meta law has the, um, the good stuff and the dross together, we ourselves, you know, we have a mix of trusts and alignments. You know, we say we're Christians, we follow God, we trust God, but it's not really that I trust God exclusively, if I'm honest. I'm, I've got trust, I put my trust every day in so many other things. Um, we've got this real mix of alignments and uh, allegiances in us, and they're all together, all held together, all mixed up. But it's often in our reaction to hardships um, or suffering that our conflated hearts and our mixed obedience and our idols are revealed. And it's often when um, our alignment to Jesus becomes costly, when it comes at the expense of something else, that we're kind of forced to make a choice. Maybe you've had that experience of coming to a fork in the road on your sort of faith journey and you know you've got a decision of this way or this way. And it's going to mean losing something, sacrificing something for Jesus' sake. You know, in extreme cases, in North Korea and China, you know, that kind of persecution, it's, it's extreme and it's a, a choice. You're sacrificing maybe your life for Jesus' sake. But we also have that same kind of experience of, you know, what if I lose my intellectual credibility by saying something which seems nonsense to people around me and I'm seen as foolish? Am I prepared to lose that kind of credibility in people's eyes? What if following Jesus is going to mean forsaking a lifestyle that I enjoy? Am I prepared for that cost? What if there's a cost in terms of a particular relationship that you're pursuing or want to pursue? So there's those moments of choice where we get, where we're faced with decisions which can do that refining. Um, but there's also other, another version of that, which is where something outside of our control comes into our lives, invades, ambushes us, and forcibly removes our ability to depend on those other things. You know, like when illness comes, when our physical abilities or our physical beauty is ruined, when a business that we've relied upon fails, when savings vanish into thin air, you know, when our vision for, um, for the future and what it was going to be like, how we'd imagine things. What about when that just comes crashing down? You know, in those moments, it's no longer Jesus and financial security, or Jesus and that really good relationship, or Jesus and um, the opinions of others holding us up. But it's just Jesus. Is that enough? So um, those trials reveal the places, the other places that we've placed our reliance. 
in a way that sometimes it's pretty rare that that happens in good times. You know, it takes troubles to often um, bring those things to the surface and we have an opportunity to choose. And the encouragement is to entrust ourselves more completely to the Lord, to become more wholehearted and less divided. Because the other thing is that those trials, when they, those type of things come, they, they're helpful to us. We should welcome them as well because they reveal the inadequacy of other things that we've trusted in. Now, I never realised that I trusted so much in the security of having a big cash reserve or a steady income. But when it's taken away, you know, it didn't really deliver that real security. I never realized how much success or significance at work meant to me. But if that goes, you know, we can find ourselves, where's my identity now? Now that's gone. Or popularity and people's affirmation or reputation, when we've relied on that for a sense of um, worth and it goes, it's just revealed as a poor substitute for God's love and his acceptance, his affirmation, being a louder voice in our lives. You know, when our false gods fail and God remains faithful, because it's a living hope and an inheritance that can never perish, which God is giving us. So that gives us another reason that we have to rejoice in our hardships because of the work they do in us. So they can help us to entrust ourselves more completely and exclusively to our faithful creator. It's an unusual way that he says it here, like you don't often hear, entrust yourself to your faithful creator. Um, I think he's just reminding us that God is the one who made us. He's the one who made you and he's faithful. This is uh, Welford Road in Shirley. And obviously the trees there caught my eye. They look like they've undergone some pretty severe pruning. Um, and that's another image of this kind of refinement thing. It's, the same, it's another metaphor that we, that we know of. Um, Jesus, the, the vine, us the branches, and God the Father, the gardener, and the vine dresser. Sometimes the pruning can be pretty drastic and it can be pretty painful, but there is a redemptive purpose, being pruned for fruitfulness. Okay. It said, um, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what, good, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit or entrust themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So we're not exempt from suffering. We've covered that one off. But we're also not exempt from God's fair judgment. 
God's fair judgment on us. But the refinement that we're experiencing, that isn't earning us a place in God's kingdom or earning us his affections. Uh, Evan Winter, a few weeks ago, um, he quoted Oswald Chambers, and he said that God makes us holy in terms of our innocence. He gives us that. But we have to convert that holy innocence into holy character through a series of difficult choices. But it's in our identifying with Jesus that we receive his righteousness. Our righteousness is found in him, being bound up in him. You know, Paul says, you know, I, I've considered everything else rubbish. It's all a loss that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So we're not depending on this refinement, this goodness within us that's kind of been um, worn out through these trials. It's not that they are purging us, uh, earning our righteousness. Our righteousness only comes from us being aligned with Jesus. It's in God's grace that our trials expose our, our divided hearts and prompt us to trust, to entrust ourselves to our faithful creator. So let us entrust our souls to a faithful creator and align ourselves with him because his is a hope that's kind of solid for this age and the age to come. So we've been on quite a journey. A lot of ground um, covered. And I pray that God's spoken to you um, through something. You know, let's summarize. Don't be surprised. Hardships are inevitable. Let's not diminish how unsettling they can be though. Because in kindness, Jesus says, take heart. Let's rejoice. And that's not denying grief. It's not passive acceptance, but rejoicing, even so. Why? Because we're on the same path, connected to Jesus, participating in his suffering, and also in his joy and his glory. And in our suffering, we're blessed. And the blessing is the unspeakable privilege of his glorious spirit resting upon us, dwelling in us, supporting us. Don't be ashamed when you're going through trouble, but glorify God. As a church, we're called to love each other deeply so that we can walk through pain together, not hiding, and also helping each other to honor God with our attitudes and in our actions that show that we treasure him above all else. Let's not resist refinement when you're going through um, troubles, try to recognize and harness the work that the fiery trials and the painful ordeals can do in our lives to reveal what's hidden, to reveal the other things that we put our trust in, to expose the inadequacy of those things, to help us see the dead hope in those things versus the living hope in Jesus and help us to recognize the gardener at work pruning us. And let's refix our alignment. Because everything we have 
comes from our alignment with God. And sometimes it's because uh, it's that being associated with Christ which is what's bringing on even more hardships. But always it's being associated with Christ that's the source of our righteousness and it's our salvation into a living hope that's not perishable. It's unfading. So our hope in everything, in life and death, is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. So therefore, let us, let those who suffer, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator whilst doing good.